The Long Box Crusade presents monthly Monday movie muckabout because the podcasting world needs another movie review show. I am Rick, also known as Not Jeff from Jeff and Rick Presents, and I love movies. I've got this huge collection of movies, and I get really, really surprised whenever I talk to somebody and find out they haven't seen a movie that I love, that I consider a classic. So I invite them on my show, we sit down, and we chat about the movie. That's all it's about. That's what we do here. Let me go ahead and tell you who I've got on today's hot seat, all the way over here at the Longbox Crusade attic. I brought over Miles Stokes, co-host of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, and Thor, the Lightning and the Storm, and a good, good friend who also lives in Portland. Miles, how you doing, man? Rick, I am doing really well. I am super excited to be here to talk about, well, not comics again with you, but nerdery nonetheless, you know, media media. I was excited the first time that you came over and actually were in my house doing a recording with me. I was like, this is great. One of the guys who talked me into doing a podcast and and who I really respect is over here in my house. And I found another reason to talk to you. So I'm very, very happy. <laughs> yes. And I remain very impressed at you the sheer number of podcasts that you're doing. It's cool to get to be on multiple of your podcasts. Unlike my other one, this one is much, much easier. Unfortunately, it's you know, less beer. Because last time you were here, we had great beer together. We did. We we did. And as soon as this uh, pandemic thing is done, we are going to go out and have beer once again. I promise you on that. I am excited for when this happens. I mean, (laughs) I'm excited for the pandemic to end for a number of reasons, and this is definitely one of them. Yes, yes. I, as much as I've enjoyed expanding doing podcasts so I can talk to more people during the pandemic, you know online. Uh, I, I do miss seeing people face to face. It is it is one of the sadnesses for me as an extrovert. <laughs> I sympathize entirely. Yeah. You know, it's fine and dandy seeing somebody's face on a screen, you know, jittering about with whatever virtual background they have, but it just doesn't scratch quite the same itch as those somewhat iffy smells, those somewhat sticky tables on your favorite dive bar. It's just, uh, it's not quite up to the same level. Man, that just brought me back. I, I do miss those things. I right? Forgot about, I forgot about that. You put down your drink and you pick it up and there's this little like squelch as like it's been stuck to the table or you order the fries and you're like, well, these are kind of cold and not quite done, but I don't care because I'm having a good time. Uh, I miss those days. Uh, someday again, in theory, hopefully. Hopefully. We'll also get the chance to go back to movies. And speaking of which, I guess I should give you a movie to watch. Are you ready to find out what movie I am going to not inflict on you, but give you the pleasure of watching? I'm excited. I'm a little nervous. Let's make this happen. All right. I am going to take you back back to 1971, a little bit before you were born, and check out a musical fantasy called Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, directed by Mel Stewart. What do you know about this childhood classic which you have not seen? Well, I know that if I really want to horrify somebody who I'm talking to, bringing up the fact that I haven't seen this movie is the best way to do so. The looks of just shock and disgust that pass across people's faces when I reveal that, well, I I saw the Tim Burton one that was not that great, but I've never seen the original. It is something to behold. Yeah, yeah. I I was a little shocked when I saw that this was on your list, and I said, well, this is going to be a very easy choice for me because this is something I remember from my childhood. Why haven't you seen this movie? So there's the question of availability. I feel like when you're a kid, 
the movies you watch, some in some cases the books you read, the games you play, whatever. It's just whatever happens to be around. Sure. So there are so many movies that my parents had taped off of television, commercials intact, and I just wore those tapes out because they were around. I've seen The Dark Crystal 1,000 times. Okay. Not exactly 1,000 times. A number of times. But there were a lot of movies where even if they were classics for a lot of kids I knew, I just didn't really have copies. And by the time I was old enough to go to video rental places on my own, well, I didn't want to watch kids' movies. I was way too mature for that. And I think Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory falls into that category. I just never happened to see it at a sleepover at a friend's house. I didn't have a copy at home. And at this point, it's really just that I haven't gotten around to it. So now I get to. Now I get to check off this movie that's been on my list since I had a list. (laughs) Well, what's going to be interesting is you're going to come into it with the knowledge of Tim Burton's. So you're going to have some knowledge. It's going to be somewhat familiar to you. But besides... Tim Burton's, is there any other parts of the movie that you've heard about or anything that you just your your subconsciousness has picked up over time? Uh, oh, absolutely. So obviously, I know Gene Wilder plays Willy Wonka. He is universally delightful and also <laughs> seems to be a much better human being than Johnny Depp, as far as I know. Yeah. I know that the Oompa Loompas are quite memorable. I don't know in what regard. I think there may be orange. I'm not really sure. I know that Marilyn Manson, another person who come to think of it as not a great human being, sampled the is a hurricane a blowing speech that was uh, <laughs> that traumatized many children from the original movie. Yeah. And I know it's based on a book called Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which I think may have been read to me when I was very small, but I remember almost nothing about. Well, I think that you are perfectly well set up to watch this film, and I know that your co-host, Jay, probably is going to be pretty happy that you're finally getting a chance to see this as well. So I am going to just take a step back, let you go off, check out this movie, and then we're going to listen to the trailer and be back shortly to talk about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory from 1971. Nice. Find it. Henry! Mike, the country wants to hear from you. The world is waiting. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. You're a rotten, mean father. You never give me anything I want. I won't go to school till I have it. Violet. Call it, mother. Open it, Charlie. Let's see that golden ticket. Wouldn't that be fantastic? It's not fair to raise his hopes. Never mind. Go on, open it, Charlie. I want to see that gold. Stop it, Dad. I've got the same chance as anybody else, haven't I? I never dreamed that I would climb over the moon in ecstasy, but nevertheless, it's there that I'm shortly about to be. Because I've got a golden ticket. I've got a golden chance to make my way. And with a golden ticket, it's a golden day. I'm so glad you could come. This is going to be such an exciting day. Ah! Little surprises around every corner, but nothing dangerous. Don't be alone. Ah! 
There's no earthly way of knowing <laughs> He's singing Which direction we are going chance to rewatch this film because Miles has had a chance to watch it. I've rewatched it. But for those of you that don't want to spend the time seeing this wonderful film from your childhood, let me give you a quick, quick synopsis of the film. There is only one name in candy, and that name is Willy Wonka. The world knows him as the king confectioner of crazy candies, but he has not been seen in years. He shut down his factory, afraid his secrets would be stolen. But a new contest has grabbed the imagination of the world. He has released five golden tickets inside his candy bars. With dreams of chocolate and riches, children around the world go crazy, including Charlie Bucket, a good boy from a poor family. Charlie and four other children are the lucky finders of the ticket, and they and their guardians are brought into the magical world of Willy Wonka. Music, imagination, wonder, and a few morality lessons guide us through this wonderful little children's film. So, Miles, what was your first impression as an adult watching this film? That is a big question for a film like Willy Wonka. (laughs) But if I had to pick just one initial impression, it would be, this is much weirder than I expected. And I expected it to be pretty weird. Yeah, yeah. And that that leads into the next thing. It didn't meet those expectations. I mean, you said you expected it to be weird, but it's bizarre, isn't it? It truly is. I would say met and exceeded, but in a very positive way. I mean, I don't mind weird. I I enjoy weird, but Mm -hmm. sometimes it can be off-putting, unappealing, done poorly. No, this was rolled doll-style bizarre Mm -hmm. in a way that was continually delightful and often slightly troubling, which is part of delightful. (laughs) Okay, let's dive right into it because there's a lot to unpack with this film. Oh, yeah. There's a lot. Let's just start off with the highs and lows. Is there something that just that after your viewing stuck with you throughout, you know, between when you saw it and now, what thing has just been ringing in your hair since then? Oh, now I have to narrow it down between my top two. Okay, we'll hit them with both of them. Okay, okay. It. Well, let's start with for what I suspect is a lot of people's high point for this film, which is Gene Wilder's performance. Yes. Gene Wilder is perfect in this movie. So I've seen the Tim Burton version of the movie, and I remember Mm -hmm. almost nothing about it, which 
yeah. I think that's the case for a lot of people with that movie. And, you know, Johnny Depp was just like a Johnny Depp character. Gene Wilder, I mean, okay, yes, Willy Wonka, as portrayed here, is very Gene Wildery, but there's something unique about that level of innocent, earnest menace, I guess, for lack of a better way of, of putting it, that Wilder yeah. captures perfectly. Like, you see the appeal, you see the charisma. You see the fact that he's a little inhuman, like there's something fey in the mythological sense about yes. him. Yes, I agree 100%. There's an innocence about Gene Wilder, but then there's also a biting sarcasm about him. There is the mystical, the mythical. He's a normal human guy, but there's a wink and twinkle in his eye at the same time that makes you wonder exactly what's the joke that he's in on that nobody else is in on. There's a lot of contradictions just in Gene Wilder himself, and when he starts acting in a role, he brings all of that out. I mean, do you think that's fair? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think like he's such a an appealing performer in, in mm -hmm. every role he's in. I haven't seen a ton of Gene Wilder movies, but I've seen some of the big ones, you know, Blazing Saddles, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, see No Evil, Hear No Evil, which I suspect the humor there has not aged well, but nonetheless. No, 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 but, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Time you know. and place, time and place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and so you have that level of, of humanity, of innocence, but also of mystery, and then you also have the sheer power that the guy wields. Like, the Chocolate Factory is almost this, like, supernatural uh, morality testing machine that he is in utter control over. And so it's not just that he wants children to learn things, it's that they must learn things or else justice will, will be served. And, you know, obviously we learn that that's because... Uh, he's trying to find some child that's pure of heart. Sure. But it, it reminded me of nothing so much as an issue of, like, the old creepy comic from EC. Okay, yeah. Yeah, in the sense that, you know, the the virtuous are rewarded and the flawed are, are punished in a thematically appropriate fashion. Willy Wonka becomes this almost, like, fierce guardian of, of, of law and justice of his own off-kilter variety. And he's so charismatic, and he's so appealing, and his heart is clearly in the right place. But there's also just that level of, oh, you maybe care a little more about the rules than about being nice. And maybe that's good, but there's also a bit of, like, uh, a fear associated with it. And that's so much of what makes it fun. And that's so much of what makes... I'm not super familiar with Roald Dahl. I've read a little bit of his stuff, but a lot of his work seems to contain that, like that little bit of appealing childhood terror. This film has, for a child, for a children's film, one of the scariest scenes in film history. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that, but oh, yeah. I mean, that's part of it as well, is let's put the fear in here, let's put the, the, the scary, but at the same time, you're also seeing the joy and wonder and excitement and, and how those two mix. And I think it makes it a little sweeter to use one of many candy metaphors we probably will use in this. <laughs> there will probably be so many. <laughs> so yeah, many. Every, everything is just elevated, which I guess actually brings me to my other favorite thing about the movie, which is the level of unreality that it straight-facedly embraces. Yes. Like, you have, you know, you have the chocolate factory, of course, with all of its wacky inventions, which are very much the case. I think no more so than the first place they visit, the uh, chocolate river, the various mushrooms, the etc., but even before then, even in the surprisingly long, patient lead-up to the factory itself, 
the fact that the movie was completely fine having the four grandparents who haven't gotten out of bed literally in 20 years and are so poor that they literally have cabbage water for every meal. Also, the educational institution that they have and the way that they're being taught school, it seems so dumb, (laughs) but they're taking it as being absolutely serious. And yeah, there's just... There's a level of heightened for everything. You know, you go to the candy store and the candy store is this wonderful place in kind of a muddy and mundane town. You went to the, the, the chocolate store, the candy store, and it's fabulous and it's wonderful and it's an escapism. Mm-hmm. It's a comic book store. <laughs> yes, very much, very much the case. And yeah, just the the fact that there are these sort of understood ways that the world works. Like, of course, that's what the candy store is like. Of course, when you're very poor, this is how things go. In a way, it reminded me of one of my favorite movies, Speed Racer, where... Of course, the entire world is obsessed with racing. So, of course, like, all anybody cares about is finding these golden tickets. Like, those are the rules. They are established. And we're just going to go with it. Right. You've got a world that, that exists. And, and they don't do too much world building itself. You know what you need to know. The world's a drab, colorless place. People go through their motions. And the one thing that's really cool is chocolate. There is just that one name there is Willy Wonka and he's mysterious and he's hidden and it's it's kind of like Bill Gates was somebody who was a mysterious figure that nobody ever saw but he's the guy behind this giant empire and then he came out and said I will teach one of you to have all my secrets and (laughs) you know it's like oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh you know but you have somebody who's a public figure that everybody knows so it's like "Eh, it's not a big deal but you have somebody who's not a public and that makes him even more mysterious Right, you know, the first time he emerges from his factory in so many years, and he's just this fantastical figure immediately. But, but he's not. He's not. And that's the the beauty of, of the film, because when he comes out, everyone's expecting this fabulous person. Right. But he comes out decrepit and old and limping. And there's that disappointment that you feel. I, I, well, actually, let me ask you. How did you feel when you first saw him walk out? So I knew a little bit about the movie just from, like, existing in a world that loves it so much. So I knew that that was not the standard depiction of Wonka. So I think I, as a viewer, understood, well, this has got to be... Is this an act? Is this something where he's going to, like, transform as he goes? But the movie really does take its time to sell that and to make you kind of wonder to to question. Until, of course, he does that front flip and everything is is, is perfect and magical. But yeah, that really establishes him as a showman, as somebody who's very, very aware of the way he comes off and deliberate about that, and he uses that. Yeah. Let's dive into a bit more of Willy Wonka and and Gene Wilder, because I mean, it's a place to start. It's the one thing that's really expanded your mind. And he's got so many scenes, and he really, for being in just the last half of the movie, this movie is about him, even though we're all seeing everything through Charlie's eyes. What of his performance did you just enjoy the most of anything? I enjoyed, I really enjoyed how understated he was in his half-hearted protests as the terrible (laughs) children did terrible things. The, oh no, don't, stop. stop. Uh, There's a part that I I think I wrote down uh, somewhere. Help, police, murder. Yeah, yeah, he just... He's, it's almost like he expected this. This is all part of a preconceived plan that he has seen. It's Mm -hmm. it's like he has seen the future. He knows what's going to happen. He knows the steps that people are going to take. And he's testing people. He's always testing them just to see, are you going to pass this test? I know you are, or I know you're going to fail. And you're going to fail in these certain ways. So nothing surprises him too much. 
Absolutely. I was watching it with my fiance Anna, and she pointed out that after we lose the gloops in one of the <laughs> first scenes of the factory, the boat they get on after that only has room for the number of people that are left. If the gloops had still been there, they'd have nowhere to sit. Uh-huh. And that goes on throughout the film. The, there, there's always enough seats for how many people are there at that time on modes of transportation that have been set up in advance in any ways. So, yeah, yeah, it's all part of a plan. Mm-hmm. Which does, of course, make you wonder, like, okay, this whole plan of uh, having five golden tickets that are distributed through both luck and capitalism, and he still somehow knew that this was going to be the case? You know, it's fine. He's mm-hmm. He is a fey entity of the Sealy Court beyond the hedge, and this is how things work, and we just have to be fine with that. And I'm fine with that. It is a theory that I am just nodding my head at because, yeah— it's as good as anything. <laughs> he, he made this gold and the gold went out there in the world and it found the right people to fit into the plot that he wanted to have. There's a couple of scenes, there's a couple of performances in here that I think are magical. We already talked a little bit about the first scene where they go into the giant river chocolate room with the edible plants. Everything in here you can eat. It's meant to be eaten, meant to be drank. It's meant to be consumed. And his song that he sings, that Gene Wilder sings about pure imagination is just Beautiful and haunting at the same time. Mm -hmm. That is a really good way of putting it. Like, so much of his performance, especially all of his musical performance, just do have that that haunting feel. Almost a little a little wistful, almost a little Mm -hmm. sad amid just the joy and the wonder. Well, and that's part of it too, is you you think that what's he singing about? Is he is he introducing these children to this wonderful world, but he's also very sad about it. It's like he's singing about something that he has lost or is about to lose himself because he is becoming too old and he knows he can't go on. It's the mor- mortality of it, too. He wants to be as childish as all of them, but he's also a middle-aged to older man. Right, exactly. The morality and the mortality, the Willy Wonka story. It is! This is a beautiful, happy movie that is dark and depressing at the same time. Because the entire goal of that he's trying to do with this contest is to find his replacement. Mm-hmm. Because he is going to die one day. <laughs> it's like, it's it's not happy. It's not happy. But it's happy for Charlie, because we're seeing through things through his eyes. Let's talk about Charlie. Cheer up, Charlie. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Charlie Bucket, the poor little street urchin who barely has enough money for his family, does not have any money for chocolate. He has bought so little chocolate that the the teacher can't do the right math on it. So, yeah, what can you do? What did you think of his performance? I think he nailed it. Honestly, he was able to emote so hard that his sadness, his joy, the we the viewers are just drawn right into that. We've all we all remember childhood to some level and we remember that what you feel is the most intense thing anyone has ever felt while you're feeling it. And he managed to do that while still being very, very sympathetic. Like, mm-hmm. I wish I'd been that good of a person when I was a kid. I don't, I don't think many of us were. <laughs> yeah, um, you're working a job to help feed your family. You're trying to help your mother out. You're trying to be a good kid in a horrible situation. And you're trying to show a happy face all the time. And life is just beating you down. <laughs> To, to an almost comical level, yeah. Is he the most worthy person to have this honor? Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, man, don't we wish that we all could be Charlie Bucket? <laughs> right. 
the actor just did such a phenomenal job. And mm-hmm. I was curious, I read up after, that was his only role ever? Pretty much. Yeah. I think yeah. He, he's like, done in one. I mean, nailed it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I guess at that point, okay, that was perfect. And anything would be downhill from here. So I'm going to go become a, a veterinarian, I think. I think so. That, that's Peter Ostrom. That was what he did. He just did the one role. He did become a veterinarian. Currently is still out there doing his practice. And this is what he's known for. Just this. But hey, that's fine. I They told a good story. He was a good character. He was subdued enough that he was a good visual interpretation of the audience. Mm-hmm. And as far as a kid's film, he's the kid that we all wanted to be. Absolutely. Well, especially compared to the uh, other kids around him who were all just impressively terrible. Yeah. Yes, they were. Yes, they were. Let's go ahead and hit them because we have to. Let's hit them one at a time and we'll do them in the the order of elimination. Okay. <laughs> so starting with Augustus Gloop, played by Michael Bolner. He, of course, is the child who is he's from Germany. <laughs> he is removed because of his greedy nature and he fell into the chocolate river and sucked up the pipe as he was drinking the chocolate so what do we think about gloop and greediness i i kind of sympathize with him to an extent like that would be my impulse as well i uh good food and drink are some of the best things in life i think with with the bad kids they're all Mm -hmm relatively simple characters like they all have their trait and uh he he embodied his certainly very well you know i think for me with that kind of a character it's always a little uncomfortable especially through a modern lens to Mm -hmm. just look at the level of body shaming that goes into it because there was definitely that yes and i don't think that's the focus the focus is is the greed but it's certainly uh shown through the fact that this kid is fat and this kid just thinks about eating and drinking all the time yeah i mean one nice thing the film didn't do, and, and it could have, especially with, well, they, they did it a little bit. There's a couple parts where I guess they did. The film didn't focus on his weight or his size. There wasn't any direct jokes at his expense. Yes, he got stuck in the pipe. That could be a joke about his size. But really, any of the kids could have gotten stuck in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they all could have gotten stuck. It wasn't that big of a pipe. So it, it, it's... You know, for the time that it was made, they, there could have been more jokes pointed out his size and, oh, yeah. and his weight. Absolutely. It was a bit of a shorthand, especially then, the now overeating, this is what's going to cause. And that's part of the song that the Oompa Loompas sing as well. And it is a fair point. Moderation, and that, that's kind of what they're going for. Moderation is fine. Can- eating candy in moderation is perfectly fine. Yes, here's somebody who's trying to sell things, but he's trying to sell joy, but he's not trying to sell all the joy so it's it, and even that going down it's like yes buy our product but don't buy it all well, buy what you need and eat what you need yeah and you look at like the everlasting gobstopper the uh-huh. uh the the wonka MacGuffin of the movie to an extent that's sort of the whole point of it is you buy it once and it lasts you forever now how does that square with the fact that he's selling hundreds of thousands of chocolate bars for people desperate to get into his factory i don't know that's a weird message that i still have not unpacked I don't think there was ever anything about that saying that, you know, you have to buy them all. Yes, some people who were rich enough could do it, but look at the poor kid who only bought four or five and he got a ticket too. Mm -hmm. So there's also that. The tickets went to the people that deserved them and the rich person, she could afford to buy a lot before she got hers. And that's just fine with Willy Wonka. Thank you very much. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely like a, a mystical element to how that ended up. You get the impression that Charlie was was destined to get one yes. of those. That because he wanted it so much, because he was so pure of heart, like, of course that was going to happen. That's just how it works. Yep, yeah, yep. 
Still, Augustus is not bad. He's just greedy. He likes to eat. He's quite fine in his own little world. Mm-hmm. Then we have Violet. Violet, <laughs> Violet Beauregard. Violet Beauregard, who she's the second, and she is removed because of her competitive nature. And by the way, I did find a website that has this great little limited from tour, and I, I love the way they describe these. But removed because of her competitive nature, she ended up turning into a giant blueberry by eating the three-course dinner chewing gum. So... <laughs> One of the two females in the group, and she sat there the entire time chewing her bubble gum and chewing her gum and just being kind of nasty. Mm-hmm. What's your thought on her? <laughs> well, I got to start by saying I think she is the best dressed of the children. I loved her outfit. Agree. Agree. Yeah. Also, the having the uh, stylish belt in the middle meant that when she turned into a big round blueberry person, it could pop off dramatically. Yeah. <laughs> She was fun. I actually, for me, I think about her, but I also think about her dad, who is also incredibly enjoyable, Mm -hmm. uh, just constantly trying to sell his product and glad hand everyone, and they were constantly talking over (laughs) each other. Like, that's something the movie does well, and I think it does best with the two of them, is show like, oh, this child is this way, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, you know, clearly there's a a familial causal relationship here, and so I enjoyed their dynamic a great deal. I would agree with that. Very annoying, but at the same time serving a great comedic purpose on certain levels. Every time that her dad tried to sell something to Willie and Willy Wonka's just like, yeah, and turning the phrase back around on him and just leaving him befuddled and confused. Mm-hmm. I think that her scene where she turns into the blueberry and they're rolling her around was absolutely hilarious as well. Oh, yes. I, I, I just, I love that entire scene. I read something in the trivia that apparently the makeup that they used, it kind of got absorbed by her skin and like, after the shooting was done, she was at school and started to exude out again, so she turned blue again. <laughs> oh, man, that is some dedication. Well done, that child. I, I hope I hope that turned out okay. Also, a very well done performance by her as well, and, and that, of course, was Denise Nickerson. It's always hard to be one of these, and one of these characters here, they have to be absolutely hated. You you want to despise them. The, the, the entire story doesn't work unless you despise these children to a certain level. Trying to pull that off and be a good actor or actress, be your best you can be and just try to be despised is a hard trick to do. And I think these kids did a great job. She is probably one of the best ones, I think. I would agree. Yeah, no, being a good villain, like... That I, I respect that so much. I'm thinking about Falcon and Winter Soldier and just how yes, much hate. Yes. Uh, what's his face? The guy that played Wyatt, uh, Wyatt Russell. Yes, how much hate he got because he was so good at his job. He played that <laughs> character perfectly. He walked on screen and everybody wanted to punch him in the face. It worked. <laughs> yeah, and all of these kids, uh, freaking great. And I agree, Violet. I think would be is one of the highlights. That of course leads us to Veruca Salt. She gets eliminated because she, of her spoiled nature. She was thrown in the garbage chute after she sat on the cushion and she was found to be a bad egg (laughs) which is great she is the one that actually sings her own little song of i want it all so what did you think of her performance and her singing her performance was phenomenal if i had to Mm. i mean maybe i'm getting ahead of myself but if i had to pick a favorite terrible child i think i think she gets that award the level of entitled fury that she was able to exude at all times was majestic Yes. And her song, yeah, it it captures it well. Uh, And not just the song, but the physical performance, the way she just dominates the scene around her, and just all of a sudden, she is the one causing everything that occurs in this large goose golden egg packing room. It's always really hard to try to sum up anything in this movie I'm learning. (laughs) 
<laughs> but yes, like she had gotten her nature across very well with the way she treated everyone around her before, but that song just cements it perfectly. So by the time she maybe is burned alive by falling into the bad egg hole, you're like, you know, that that seems right. That that seems yep. like the way this world definitely works. I so, mean, you, you, you knew it was coming. You had to know it was coming. Like she, she's she's going to be a bad egg. She's going to be she's going to be a bad egg. <laughs> and it was perfect. No, she was phenomenal like i know she was the worst child in many ways and i liked her the most because of it she was just such such a pure example of utter vice yes yes that of course leaves us with the last boy besides charlie and that was mike tv a he was the last eliminated from the group removed because of his focus on technology his focus on instant gratification Maybe mm-hmm. he just wants to TV. He wants to just absorb TV and and turn out the entire outside world beyond that. And because of that, because he wants that to live in that technology, he gets himself shrunk down with Wonka vision and becomes tiny. What did you think of Mike TV? Mike TV. He in some ways is the most fantastical. I think of the children, like even before the factory happens at all. And as you alluded to. His freaking last name is TV. I mean, it's it's right there. Like, this is a child who, who was born an archetype. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that level of... I don't know. In a way, it's almost seemed like an unfocused criticism of technology and kids these days mixed together. Mm-hmm. And I'd be curious to hear what Roald Dahl would have said about that. I mean, maybe he's written or spoken about it in the past. I don't know. But so for me, whereas you have a character like like Veruca, who you understand every aspect of her, TV was a bunch of things at once. There was the, like, obsession with violence, there was the obsession with instant gratification, there was the obsession with fame. And so I don't know that all of those gelled as well. Right. Visually, though, the television cowboy outfit and the way the young actor just completely sold that worked was freaking great yeah it's it's one of those weird things where like you see the family and like oh they're always set up in front of the tv eating their dinner and 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 you know you kind of get a mindset in your head but then i'm kind of like eh, yeah my family we we tend to especially during this pandemic we tend to eat dinner watching some tv as well because well my child is a very slow eater and it's just a time for us all to relax and we watch TV and then we maybe do something else. But okay, we're horrible parents too. We're great. We're, we're raising our own TV. What can I say? <laughs> but at the same time, it's, it's not, it's not all of it. And I think you, you were right with that. It's the, you know, maybe too much violence, maybe not watching the child is, it's a little bit of a, a thing on the parents as well of saying, you're just letting the kid do whatever he wants. And what he wants is to watch TV and you, you have to let him watch TV because. Apparently, that's all he wants. Mm-hmm. And so the child becomes spoiled because of that. And the child tends to reflect on, I just want to do this. Yeah. And I mean, I think that 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 works. Like, in a way, you have a lesson about moderation the same way you do with Augustus Gloop. But then if you look at the Oompa Loompa song, it almost becomes a condemnation of the medium itself. Like, the, the yeah. message seems to be, hey, why don't you read a book? Then you wouldn't be a tiny person in your mom's purse. And so, I don't know, that part, like, Doll almost comes off as a little uh, kids these days curmudgeonly, yeah. I think, with Mike TV. A, a little a little, a little preachy on that aspect, too. It's, it's the moderation. It's the let's do things in little bits by little bits and teaching that. All right, let's talk a little bit more about another person who's kind of important on this, and that's Grandpa. What do you think of Grandpa? Grandpa Joe, what a delight. Like, I mean, we talked a little bit about how Charlie is just a purely sympathetic character. 
And Grandpa Joe's kind of like that as well, but he's less of an audience surrogate, and so you just have this lovely old man who just enjoys everything around him and loves his family and wants the best for everyone and gets righteously indignant when people treat each other poorly, like at the end when it looks like Wonka's being a jerk, and dances around and clicks his heels together and learns that, you know, you have to burp a lot to not uh, have the fizzy lifting drink carry you into dangerous situations. And he is just, I just enjoyed every aspect of him. I mean, I feel like if I were a kid watching this movie instead of, you know, being very much not that anymore, I would have just been desperate to have a Grandpa Joe in my life. I mean, I'm desperate to have a Grandpa Joe in my life right now. He was just perfect. It was, it was a little weird that of the four grandparents, he's the only one with any real personality traits, but at the same time, you know, that that's fine. He's great. I'm not going to worry about it. This is a an elevated world where things yeah. make their own kind of sense, so fine. Yeah, in, in a perfect world with a little more backstory, it'd be nice to find out what, what the difference is between all the grandparents. This is just his favorite grandparent. It, that's obvious. Yeah. And he seems to be, of all of them, he seems to be the only one who might possibly be ambulatory. I mean, <laughs> he's right. the only one who cares about being ambulatory. So there's some of that as well. Yeah, he's a great, great role. Great actor, Jack Albertson. Mm-hmm. And he does wonderful, wonderful job in the performance, in the singing, in the dancing. Selling part of the enjoyment of this film, which is, yes, he's old and he's been decrepit, but he's also got a little bit of that child in him as well. The mm-hmm. child that wants to be mischievous and escape. And, hey, let's go ahead and drink these fizzy sodas. Or, hey, let's go do this. You know, oh, you only live once. Sign the wall, Charlie. He wants to experience this as well. He wants to be a kid as well. He wants to live in the fantasy as well. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also important that he's the one that doesn't let Charlie be fully self-sacrificing. Mm-hmm. He reminds Charlie, no, you're a person too. And in some ways, more importantly, you're a child with your life ahead of you. And that is uniquely important. And we need to support and celebrate that. And yeah. you know, part of that, yeah, I agree. It's, it's because Grandpa Joe is basically a 1,000-year-old child himself. But yeah, like, there's just never any question for Joe. Like, Charlie's a good kid. And... I've, I've had my life, I'm still having it now, but this kid needs to have his life. And so, again, purely sympathetic and just an utter joy to watch constantly. They scrape up enough money to give him a chocolate bar. I, th- there's just the little things that he does to help keep his spirits alive and to keep him focused on the right path. I think both the mother who doesn't, who has some good scenes, but the mother, we can see that she's trying to support Charlie and, and everybody in two, but she's trying to support him. Grandpa's trying to support him. He has a good structure, which is another contrast between Charlie and the rest of the kids. Mm-hmm. Because we see all the rest of the kids and the relationship with their parents and the parents are enablers and they support the bad behaviors or kind of like, oh, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. I, I can't do much. My kid's just like that. Well, yeah. Or you could support them in the right way and you can give them the right kind of love and attention and moderation we could go and talk about parents things here (laughs) let me ask you a question what do you think is any low points in the movie for you was there anything that just really stuck out as a a problem or something that you just really didn't like oh that is that is a hard question like overall as i'm sure is evident Mm -hmm. i really enjoyed this movie yeah certainly more than i expected to i mean we we touched a bit on the admittedly very mild uh body shaming with the augustus stuff but that's like you said that's very minor and compared to other movies at the time it was practically Mm -hmm. non-existent i feel like i'm gonna take some heat for this next part I'm, i'm prepared watching it for the first time in 2021, I think one of the weaker elements of 
of the film, and not every time, but sometimes with some of the music. Okay. I'm going to take some heat. I recognize that. A lot of people grew up on that. Those songs are in their <laughs> hearts from day one, and that's valid, and that's fine, and I would never take that away from anyone. But, you know, it's a movie from the 70s, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of movies from that many decades ago, especially musicals, they can be slower. Yeah. Uh, and the movie itself was not, but many of the songs were. And especially, I think, because uh, early on, before The Factory, more than the others, the staging is somewhat mundane. You know, mm-hmm. you're just sort of watching people standing somewhere or sitting somewhere. Maybe they move from one side of the room to the other while they're singing. I think the most noticeable example of that for me was the song uh, sung by Charlie's mom, Cheer Up, Charlie. Cheer Up, Charlie. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, that's... I'm judging something from the 70s by modern standards, but I'm also seeing something from the 70s for the first time in the modern era. I think that's a fair point. I think that's a very, very fair point because there's a lot of times when you watch movies from back then where you're watching them like, I'm enjoying this. And then a musical cue hits. You're like, ah, this this is really slow. The pacing's not where I like it to be. Yeah, I I can agree with you totally on that, especially the Cheer Up Charlie song. I like the song. It's just, are we at the Chocolate Factory yet? I really want to get to the Chocolate Factory. I know it's coming up. Can we? (laughs) I'd like I'd like more with Charlie and the grandpa. That'd be that'd be great. Yeah. And, you know, she's a great character. It's a fine song. It's not a very dynamically staged one. It kind of reminded me a little of was it Zeppo from the Marx Brothers who would always have like the romantic interlude songs that just broke the the comedic timing entirely sometimes. Uh, So, yeah. But again, as, as criticisms go, that's a pretty minor one, to be honest. Like, it wasn't exactly a problem so much as if I had to pick a part that I thought worked mm-hmm. the least, it might be that. Uh, we mentioned this at the beginning, and, and I wanted to make sure we got back to it. What about the scene in the tunnel? The horror scene in the tunnel? Yeah. How did that hit you? <laughs> I think that was probably my favorite scene in the entire movie. That was <laughs> outstanding. So, you know, obviously the whole point of this show is you talk to people about movies that they somehow haven't seen despite yep. having intended to for ages. So for me, my first exposure to the story was the Tim Burton movie. My first exposure to that scene was on a Marilyn Manson album, as Manson does his creepy I am Marilyn Manson, also apparently a very bad person, version of it. Yeah. Yep. And I remember, like, I'd heard that bit a number of times before somebody mentioned to me that that was from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I didn't believe them at first. I'm like, wait, but that's that's a beloved children's movie. And that horrifying bit of dialogue is from it. And it works so well, like, especially with all the psychedelic quasi horror imagery in the mm-hmm. background. Like, yep. that I think is also it was very wise to include that so early in the journey into the Chocolate Factory to just get across like okay you guys are in Wonka's hands now like this is his Mm -hmm. world it has its own rules and it's gonna happen the way it's gonna happen ah so yeah it it just becomes this glorious psychedelic nightmare of like wonder and delight and just the unknown and putting it right after this paradise where they're in the chocolate room where there's all this food everything is edible and it's just peaceful and it's beautiful yeah you just you did see something horrific as a child got sucked up a pipe with a chocolate river but beyond that <laughs> beyond that you know it's this beautiful beautiful land that they're leaving and they're thinking that they're safe they're like this is great this this is a little weird at the beginning it's kind of weird at the beginning but this is fantastic we are safe this is beautiful what is going on oh dear god in heaven we are going to die yes it's just you don't get it the film makes a turn which course corrects 
And it's fine throughout the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. But that right there, it sticks with you. Like, yep. you've seen at that point Wilder's performance where, you know, he's very mannered often. Even when he's being a little, like, mischievous and malicious about the children getting their just desserts, he's just, oh no, stop. And with that, he's just wild-eyed and he's just yelling and bellowing forth in parts of it. And you just really get just the power this guy commands over certainly his chocolate factory but maybe also reality as a whole like he just becomes this this figure of mystical power and you don't know what's going to happen next and he keeps you guessing and like you said that kernel of fear is always back there as you're watching the film is it going to happen again is is a giant spider going to come out and like snap at us what's going to happen and you don't know but it keeps you guessing that This is not just all fun and games. There is danger here, too. There is an element of surprise. You have to be able to accept it all. You have to be able to enjoy it all. Yes, very much. We need to talk about the Oompa Loompas. I want to know what your thought of the Oompa Loompas was. Wow, that was... I have so many feelings in so many directions about the Oompa Loompas. I mean, they're a ton of fun. They're a delight. There's part of me that... uh, And... Okay, this is the part where I just, like, use modern standards maybe too much even. But, okay, so we have this guy that rescued these small people with a different skin color from their Mm -hmm. homeland where they weren't really able to uh, keep themselves safe, and then he gave them jobs in his factory. That... That's a little yeah. weird. That's a little weird. Yeah. We we could call that uh th- there's some problems that we could say and there's some past history we could look at and say, "Is this okay? Is this not okay? Did did we learn that this is not okay?" But he's doing it in a humanitarian effort and they seem happy. Are they happy? Do we know? They seem happy. It, it kind of reminds me, like, in Pokemon, there are these children, and the best thing they can do is to capture wild animals, imprison them in tiny balls, and make them fight. But it's okay. They like it. It's for their own good. Yeah. Uh, so Awkward. <laughs> it, it, it is. And I mean, you know, it. roll dolls, roll doll. Like, sure. And I don't think that context was probably intended. And no. the characters themselves are a ton of fun and actually give some phenomenal performances, especially like the the tumbling and dancing that they do is, is incredible. I also appreciate that in their little, I think what I, what I wrote, called in my notes, their death songs that they sing <laughs> as each child is, I mean, okay, Wonka says they're going to be okay. I don't think they're going to be okay. They're not going to be okay. No, uh, you, don't, you don't come back from some of that stuff. But I was, I, I'd heard the songs before, like that's the sort of thing that people just would sing in the background at various appropriate times. That was one of the first things I ever like internalized about this movie. What parties do you go to where people are singing Oompa Loompa songs? Because why aren't you inviting me to those parties? I mean, there's a pandemic on our right, afterward. We're, <laughs> we're going to make this happen. You'll, you'll, you'll see these. It gets weird. In the pandemic, it's more like, Oompa Loompa, <laughs> I think, go I on, think as you're saying, <laughs> you're using your built-in mic, Oompa Loompas. You need to switch to the, the, the Audio-Technica Oompa Loompas. Um, <laughs> Is your video on? What I was not expecting was the fact that it went into, like, a psychedelic font demo for half of them. That was amazing. Where the movie's like, you know, we're just we're just going to abandon reality entirely for this part, and it's just going to turn into a, a, like, a super weird cartoon showcasing typography. Yeah. Yeah, you think that you're living in a real-type world. No, no, no. We are going to switch to MTV video right now. Is that, that okay with you? Y'all are... Okay with that? Why are there panels? Why are there comic book panels in front of me? What's going on? Is this the introduction to Ang Lee's Hulk movie? Which, by the way, is underrated. Like Very underrated. Very underrated. (laughs) (laughs) 
they were a lot of fun, and mm-hmm. the, the visual design of them was just so instantly memorable. The fact that they kind of all looked the same, but also had, you know, different body shapes, different heights. Obviously, you know, these were mm-hmm. all uh, smaller actors. Fun stuff with some weird, pol- like, cultural baggage attached <laughs> and historical baggage. As we start wrapping up, I, I know I promised to ask you, and I think you already said it, your favorite bad child was Veruca Salt, I think you said? Absolutely. Hands okay. down. They all did a great job, but Veruca was just above and beyond in being the worst child ever. And just so engagingly terrible. I agree with you. I think for me, there's something that always just astounded me about Violet. I think it's because she turns into a giant blueberry. That mm-hmm. just, I mean, that takes talent in and of itself to become a giant blueberry. I, I think that she really stretched herself as an actress hey. to do that. So, <laughs> hey, <coughs> jokes. Uh, is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you would like to say from your notes about this film or anything else that really struck out at you that we haven't had a chance to talk about? Oh, man. Well, we, we touched on the set, certainly in the Chocolate River, but honestly, the sets throughout the entire Chocolate Factory were amazing. The invention room, the vehicles that they're on, the strange little hallway that they get stuck in at the beginning. It's just this fun house that seems effortless. It's just sort of, of course it's this way, but people had to build all that. That is not CG. This was the 70s, and... I I was blown away by the amount of, of care that was put into all of that. I also want to talk a little about a character that shows up very briefly, but really sure. stuck with me. I, in my notes, I called him the Knife Prophet. Okay. The guy at the beginning with a cart of, like, butcher's knives who gives Charlie this, like, terrifying account of the factory being closed and nobody ever going in or coming out. You know, it's like the stereotypical character at the beginning of a horror movie that tells people not to go to the old whatever farm. And I I don't know why he was there, but I'm so glad he was because he's sort of the first hint of, y'all, stuff's gonna get weird. That's the tinkerer that comes in and he recites the first line of William Allington Allingham's poem, The Fairies. See, see, there's my theory right there. Yep, it's reinforced. Yep. Oh, I'm not denying that at all. <laughs> I think you are completely correct on that. I'm trying to look up here really quickly and seeing who the tinker is. That was played by Peter Capel. Once again, going into that element of fear and terror, and uh, there's a scary element to this film. When Charlie finds the golden ticket and he gets mobbed by the mob, were you just scared for him for a moment? You're like, there's all these people here. And luckily, like his boss, the, the paper, uh, the newspaper guy comes up and like pulls him out like, Charlie, run home don't stop and talk to anybody slugworth being there and like stopping him in the tunnel and slugworth always appearing with the kids and like you know whispering and and like i need the ever the gobstopper there are these elements of fear in the film that all get bound up and you don't know if something bad is going to happen to charlie and uh, that that really really works, and that's such a Roald Dahl thing. And I think that's so much of why Roald Dahl sto- Roald Dahl stories work as well as as they do. And this movie freaking nailed it. <laughs> excellent, excellent. All right, let's go ahead and wrap some of this up with the final question. Actually, no, wait. I did have one other question I wanted to ask you, Please. and that was: There's a lot of food in this. There's a lot of cool things. There's a lot of nifty things that you can get if you could take one thing from this world and have it, what would it be? Oh, Rick, that is a hard question. It is. Certainly one it I is. was thinking about throughout the whole movie. If I had to narrow it down to one, and I might have a different opinion if you asked me tomorrow, but the gigantic 
gummy bears hanging in the chocolate river room looked okay, yeah, yeah. so delicious. I'm, I'm a gummy candy fan in general, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they just seemed so soft and delectable and flavorful and were just visually beautiful. So yeah, one of those, probably one of those uh, golden yellow ones. They mm-hmm, look like they would mm-hmm. just taste amazing. What about you? I'm curious. For me, the one thing that's always stuck in my head is where he takes the buttercup and takes it off the flower, and he's in the middle of song, and he drinks from the buttercup, which you have to imagine it has just got to be this buttery, lemony, just floral tasting tea. It just must be delicious. And he's thinking thoughtfully, and then he takes a bite out of that cup. <laughs> I want that. I want it. I want that drink every day, and when I'm done drinking it, I want to eat that cup. You have no clue what it tastes like, but you know it's got to taste fantastic. <laughs> a phenomenal so, answer. Yes, that's great. There's these little things in the film that you see, and you're like, I want that. I would like that. That three-course meal gum? Hey, that sounds awesome. Right. Anyways, anyways, we're talking about food. I have one other food-related question, and that is, how many full bags of popcorn would you give this 1971 film? One through five, no halvesies. <sighs> okay, no halvesies means I'm going to round. And if I'm going to round, I'm going to say it gets the full five. This was an outstanding movie. I enjoyed the hell out of it. That is fantastic. I I have to go for this one. I wouldn't feel bad. Anybody not not hitting for people, I can understand it. There are some elements of this film that I'm sure probably people would just say, I don't get it. Fine. But for me, my own childhood, my own love of this film, and just the magic that's in it, it's a five for me as well. Yeah. Very much so. Completely holds up all these many years later. <laughs> it does. It does. And I'm so glad you finally got a chance to see it. Now you can tell Jay that you finally watched it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Speaking of Jay, you have another show that you're on and that you should tell our fine listeners about. Yes, indeed. Uh, I do, along with Jay Edidin, a podcast called Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, which is basically what it sounds like. We go through the entirety of X-Men history, all of its spinoffs, uh, focusing mostly on the comics, but also a little bit on the uh, other other media that it's in, and talk about the continuity, the characters, the creators, the context, other things that start with C as well. So um, if you like X-Men, or if you just like hearing about a long-developing superhero soap opera, then maybe you would like our show. I would very much recommend it. When I started to get into podcast, I was like, I like X-Men, and I happened to run into J.M. Miles at the Rose City Comic Con, and they said, you should listen to our show. And I said, well, I think I'm listening to too many shows. That's funny, because I thought I was at the time. And then I started listening to their show, and I listened a lot more. Listen to their show. It's excellent. Jay and Miles are two wonderful humans on this planet Earth. You can find me on Twitter, if you want to talk to me, at mmuckabout, or on my other podcast, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, which I host with Jeff, a man who once turned into a giant peach after eating an experimental cobbler-flavored gummy bear. It can happen. It can happen. If you would like to be on the show, please feel free to contact me. You can reach me at Jeff and Rick Present, all one word at gmail.com. And thank you very much to the Longbox Crusade Network for letting me use this wonderful attic of their headquarters. I just am upset that they never make it edible. Trust me, it's not edible. Anyways, I would like to thank the Longbox Crusade members who help support this network. If you would like to support it, please head on over to Patreon and search for the Longbox Crusade. That's all the time we have. Grab some popcorn or some candy and pull up a seat for our next episode coming out soon. The music for this episode is Fall Back by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at josephlin99. That's J-O-S-E. 
F-L-I-N-9-9. 